Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Again, just review our text, Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5, talking about the triumphal entry of Christ. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah. And so I want us to focus on the original text that Matthew was quoting from, partially quoting from the book of Zechariah. For review, we we, uh, had a few sermon series on the book of Zechariah. He prophesied to Judah after the people returned from captivity in Babylon. And most likely he was born in Babylon and returned to Jerusalem with almost 50,000 other Jewish exiles. And God was going to judge the nations around Judah and Israel who had persecuted them. And then the Lord would give the people of Israel a new king. Their last king failed, but God was going to give them a new king. And that's where it comes in Zechariah 9, verse 9. And this is the the partial quote of, of what we read in our passage in Matthew. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let's dig a little deeper to find out what Palm Sunday is really all about. It's not just palm fronds. It's not just about donkeys. But there's something deeper here. Now, I'm going to use a lot of scripture today, so just buckle up. Because how many know God's word is more important than my words? So it's okay you use scripture because it's God's word. First and foremost, let's establish this. Number one, Jesus is king. I love that we sang that song just now. Jesus is in the room. He is King Jesus. There are a lot of leaders in the world, but none can compare to our Jesus. None. And Jesus declared that he was the king of the nation of Israel. Look at Matthew 27, verse 11, when he was on trial and being persecuted and beaten before his crucifixion. He stood before Pilate in Matthew 27, 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Jesus made it very clear. He is the king of the Jews. But how many know he's the king of the Gentiles too? He came not to just save his people, but to save the world. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. And he clearly acknowledged that he was the king. And he told Pilate he was not an earthly king. And his kingdom was not an earthly kingdom. Look at John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. This is another discussion he had with Pilate. The kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. That was the problem. People thought he was coming to overthrow the Roman Empire. They had in mind an earthly king and an earthly kingdom that would be established. But the kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. And the problem is we put too much trust in earthly kings, presidents, and political leaders. Isn't that true? Jesus is the leader of them all. 
They all answer to him and will be judged by him. Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus is king. In addition, we learn from Zechariah that number two, Jesus is righteous. Part of his kingly character is that he is a righteous king. Now here is the definition of the word righteous in the Old Testament. It's sadiq, and it means just, lawful, or straight. It means righteousness is exhibited only through the conformity to the standard set out in the word of God. God defines righteousness. The Bible defines what is right and what is wrong. How many know our culture has tried to redefine righteousness? They're trying to change the meaning of good and evil. We see it happening before our very eyes. It's stunning what is taking place in our world. And that's why we need the righteousness of the Lord. Look at what the scripture said in Psalms 145 verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. Oh, I love that. Sometimes people think the righteousness of God is ready to punish us. That God has a standard that we can't meet and we keep failing. But how many know it says here that not only is God righteous, but he's loving to all he has made. He loves you. He loves me, which is amazing. God is loving toward all he's made and he is righteous. Now, God expects not only us to be righteous, but to walk in righteousness and to follow God's word. And here's what the scriptures say again in Genesis 6-9. We see an example of people living righteously. We can live righteously, amen? In fact, God expects us to live righteously. And so this is the account, Genesis 6-9, of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, same Hebrew word, Sadiq, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. We see a principle here. He was righteous, and he was blameless, and he walked with God. How many know if you're righteous and you're blameless, you will walk with God? But you cannot walk with God without being righteous, without being blameless before him. This is so important for us to understand Noah was righteous, and let that be our lifestyle. We can only truly walk with God as we live righteous lives. And listen how God treats those who are his. Psalms 146, verse 7. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. There it is again. The same Hebrew word. God sets us free from all bondage. God wants us to be righteous, but it's his power that sets us free. And so the Lord sets prisoners free. That means literal prisoners and emotional and and spiritual. Whatever binds you, God can set you free. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. That we can be free because there's a king that is coming and has come. Jesus gives sight to the blind the physically blind, and the spiritually blind. There's a whole lot of spiritual blindness happening in our world today. It's, it's, there's no other way to describe it. How could people be so blind? How could they accept such things that wouldn't have been accepted just a decade ago? And so Jesus opens our eyes because how many of you know even his children need to have their eyes opened to what's going on in the world? 
And he lifts up those who are bowed down with the burdens of life. This is what righteousness does for us. Righteousness sets us free from bondage. Righteousness opens our eyes. And righteousness takes the burden that we bear. And God is righteous. And he loves those who are righteous as well. And true righteousness comes only from God. This is important to understand. Any righteousness that comes from us is called self-righteousness. And, I mean, and the Bible says God sees that like dirty rags. So sometimes we try to be righteous on our own. We produce our own righteousness. And usually that has to do with arrogance, legalism. We think we can make ourselves righteous. We can't. Only God is the source of righteousness. And so we cannot attain any righteousness on our own. We must receive it from God. And not only is King Jesus righteous, in addition, number three, Jesus brings salvation. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. The people were shouting Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? It means save. It means save us now or save us, we pray. And so as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, the people are saying, save us, Jesus, save us. And only Jesus can save us. Look at Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by, given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other name but the name of Jesus. There's been a lot of religious people throughout history, but there's only one name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are not ashamed of this. We, the Bible says Jesus is the only way. Jesus saves us when we receive him. You know, there is an urgency today, I believe, for salvation. There is a, 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 an urgency in the world and an urgency in the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that urgency, that God is bringing salvation. There's a window of opportunity. There's a moment here that God is trying to reach as many as possible. And God not only stretches out his hand to, say, to heal, God stretches out his hand to save. When uh, years ago we were pastoring in Ojai, California, we would go to Bates Beach in Carpinteria. That was our, our favorite beach we would go to. And a lot of times we'd go with people that, from the church, and on one occasion we did. And, and our youngest son, Jaden, was about five years old at the time, and he was just... He was just, we called him wild man. He was just a wild man. And he always did things times 10, whether it was running on the roof, whether it was riding the garage door up until he fell off and cut his head open. I mean, this kid kept us on our toes all the time. We were like, oh, what's he doing now? And the time we walked out and saw him sitting in the backseat of a police car driving to our house. It's like, oh my word. He had, was planning to ride his bike to the beach. And he was on his bike, and he was actually going the right way. <laughs> and somebody saw this little boy riding a bike on a busy street, called the police. And we noticed that the police kept circling around through it. the next day or so, a week or so. That it's like, something's wrong with those parents. No, something's wrong with that kid. Not, not the parents. We're just the parents. But we were at the beach, and he loved to swim. 
And his lips would be purple. It was so, I, I hate cold water. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I want a wetsuit all the way from the neck to the toes. I cannot stand cold water. And that's why sometimes I don't like swimming in the, be, in the ocean because the water's just stinking cold. But he does not care. Lips purple, fingers purple. He was loving life. And so for me, the thing I do at the ocean is fish. And so on this particular day, we were there with friends from the church and I was out surf fishing, bless God, doing the Lord's work, you know. And all of a sudden, I could see Jolene was in a panic. And she was yelling for me because I was down the beach a ways. And she was running toward the ocean. And I looked out, and there were a group of children. And Jaden was the furthest out, and he was being carried out by the current. And so we panicked. And we, I'm, I threw my fishing pole. You got to know it's serious if I throw my fishing pole. Threw my fishing pole, ran down the beach, and was ready to dive in. And there was a girl, an older girl, Pastor Ron's daughter, that just happened to look back, stretched out her hand, and grabbed him and pulled him in. We would, we were, we would not have made it in time to rescue him. He was, he was going out to sea. And that panic that, that we had to deal with, we were so grateful. And every time... I see McKenna, I tell, and Jaden's there, I say, she saved your life, buddy. Just remember, she saved your life, and she did. And I want you to know that God wants to save our lives. He's, he, we're being carried out to sea. We're being carried out in the current of this world and the, the loss of everything that's going on, the trials and tribulations of life, the sin that so easily besets us, the Bible says, but if we will just call out his name, he will reach out and he will rescue us. This is Palm Sunday. And we should not delay in receiving God's salvation. Just like there was an instant for Jaden to be saved, there is a moment for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And then the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do you hear the urgency? Today is the day of salvation. I want you to know if, that you're, if you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ, today is your day. We are not promised tomorrow. Today is your day. This is the time of God's favor. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Yes, the world is getting more wicked and more evil and and, and more compromised, but I'm, I'm here to tell you God's grace is greater. The light outshines the darkness. But don't take it for granted, because there is an urgency. There's a moment. There's a time. And that time is now. So how do we get saved? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Romans 10, 9. The Bible makes it very clear. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That simple. You got to believe in your heart and speak with your mouth. Share what the Lord has done for you. And that will bring salvation. And not only is King Jesus righteous, he brings that salvation. Now we see this in number four. This one's a little interesting. Jesus is gentle. Now the word is often misunderstood. But in the Hebrew, it's ani, and it means lowly, humble, poor, and distressed. 
And so why would they say that Jesus is lowly, humble, poor, and distressed? Because in a sense, Jesus was poor. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He had no great wealth or anything tying him to this world. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, this great exchange. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus gave up the glory and majesty and riches of heaven. Remember, the streets are gold. The asphalt is gold. And he gave all that up to become human and die for us. Wow. In this way, Jesus became poor so that we could become rich in salvation. Now, this is not a financial wealth per se. It is a spiritual wealth and a physical and mental and emotional health. We've been talking about the healing that God brings, body, soul, and spirit. The Greek word for gentle in the New Testament is praus, and it is found in the words of Jesus. Here's the same word, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus is speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. There it is. I am poor, I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we all must carry on cross and there's always a yoke to bear. But how many of you know when we, and even unsaved people bear a yoke. But those who know Jesus, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And if you are weary and heavy burdened, come to King Jesus. When we are hurting and troubled, Jesus is gentle with us. Look at what Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Isn't that an awesome statement? The posture that's most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Jesus came to save the world, the lost. And Jesus is waiting for us always with open arms. Here is another meaning of Palm Sunday, number five. Jesus has come. Listen to this passage in John 1. Jesus came into the very world he created. This is what's so awesome. Jesus created the world. Read Colossians. He is the creator of the universe, of all that is. He created the world, and then he came down into this world. It's amazing. The creator became a part of creation to save them. But the world didn't recognize him. Verse 11, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I know it's a popular saying that we're all God's children. But you know, we're not. Only, only those who believe and receive 
are children of God. And when you are a child of God, you have special privileges and benefits of being a child of God. But we, we need to let people know that, because there are people thinking they're children of God and going to hell. There's only one way we become a child of God, a daughter and a son, is through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to save, but they did not recognize Jesus as king. And many rejected the Son of God. Finally, Palm Sunday reminds us of this. Number six, Jesus is coming. Jesus has come, and he's coming again. Zechariah prophesied about the first coming and the second coming. Jesus came, he saw, and he conquered. Jesus became a baby and died, rose, and is coming again. And the disciples were told this over and over again, because the disciples were still kind of dense. Gives us all hope, especially Peter. I love Peter because he's like me, or I'm like him. Always putting my foot in my mouth, things like that. Speaking before you're thinking, like I did last Sunday. We won't talk about that. But here it is, the disciples... Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ready to ascend to his father. And the disciples say, so uh, when, when are you going to establish your kingdom? They're still thinking an earthly kingdom. They're still thinking overthrowing the Romans. Instead of realizing Jesus has tried to teach him there is another kingdom. And so this is what happened in Acts 1.9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. That just cracks me up. <laughs> They're just standing there, mouths agape, watching Jesus go on. I, I, I saw on a video of a church that was trying to do the Easter story, and they were trying to have Jesus ascend, and he started spinning around. And <laughs> you ought to look it up sometime. It's hilarious. And so they're like that. They're watching When two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so he ascended, but he's coming back. He came once, but he's coming a second time. And here's how it's going to happen. Stay with me. This is important. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, New Living Translation. And now, dear brothers and sisters... We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. God is trying to tell us we do grieve when someone we know dies. But if they're a believer, we don't grieve. We grieve in a different way. We grieve with hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, that's what you got to believe. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I am looking forward to that day. When, the, when the, the sky will be cracked and the trumpet will sound and there'll be a mighty shout and Jesus will come. 
There's a reason Jesus rode a donkey at his first coming. Thomas Constable says, in the ancient Near East, rulers commonly rode donkeys if they came in peace. But they rode horses into war. This verse gives one reason the Israelites should rejoice, the coming of the king. Now, I want us to understand, when Jesus came first, it was for peace. But when he comes again, it's for war. It's for judgment. And so we need to be aware of this. And we also need to know, as 2 Peter says, judgment begins in the house of God, in you, with you and me. Jesus came first as a humble king. He's coming a second time as a conquering king. He first came on a donkey. His second coming will be on a war horse. Look at this, Revelation 19.11. Bible speaks a lot about the second coming of Christ and how we can learn and be prepared for it. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. First time he came as a humble king on a donkey. Next time, sword coming out of the mouth, eyes of blazing fire on a white war horse. It is prophesied throughout the Old Testament that Jesus would come the first time. And this prophecy came true. It is also promised in both the Old and New Testament that Jesus is coming the second time. Even the Old Testament talks about his second coming. And that's what happened. The people, they knew about the verses of the first coming and they knew about the verses of the second coming. They knew Jesus would be a suffering servant but he also would be a conquering king. Well, they didn't like the suffering servant, so they were looking for Jesus as a conquering king, and that's why they missed him. These prophecies will come true as well. In the Life Application Bible, it says the triumphal entry of Jesus riding into Jerusalem was predicted here more than 500 years before it happened. And just as this prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus came to earth, So the prophecies of his second coming are just as certain to come true. We are to be ready for his return, for he is coming. Amen? And so Easter reminds us of his first coming, but Palm Sunday reminds us of his second coming. So I think it's imperative today we're going to take communion. And the Bible says... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. So we're going to sing a song, and I would just invite you to examine your own heart. Are you ready? The king is coming. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. Are you ready? And you can make yourself ready. You can say, Jesus, I believe in you and I receive you. And so those of you who are already believers, I want you to ponder today what God is speaking to you. There's something God wants you to walk away with. Jesus is king. 
Maybe you need his, his power and his authority in your life. Jesus is righteous. Maybe you need his righteousness over your own. Jesus brings salvation. He is gentle. Do you need the gentle touch of Jesus? And Jesus has come and is coming. So Pastor Nathan is going to lead us in worship. Hold the elements. We'll partake together after we sing the song. Messiah, the name of 
Maybe you're here today and you've, you're not a Christian, but you, you're ready to. You know you need a Savior. You need someone to set you free. I invite you to pray these same words with us. But even every believer in this place, I think it's, it's a good time on Palm Sunday to reaffirm that we believe. And so would you pray after me? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, believe I believe you are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you ascended to heaven and are coming again. Jesus, I receive. I receive your gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Would you take the bread and let's take it together. Let's pray over the juice. Lord Jesus, come this Good Friday, we're going to be reminded of how you shed your blood. And it's, it seems so horrifying, and it was. But it was the price that had to be paid for our salvation, so may we never take it for granted. This is a cup of forgiveness. Because you shed your blood, we're forgiven if we only believe and receive. So Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for our salvation to be our king. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you partake? Would you stand with me? Just want to invite all of our visitors today, if this is your first time, or if you've come a few times but haven't had a chance to receive your gift, we're meeting you after service. A pastor will be there in the Blue Chapel. You can make your way there, asking the elders to come forward and board members to pray for, if you have a physical, spiritual need, we have people praying for you. And the altars are always open. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you. Good Friday.
You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.